you're in the right place. You are part of the show. This is the Suicide Prevention Show, and I am super happy that you are here for this particular episode, because this episode, I get to interview my friend, Marnie Turbin, Dr. Marnie. And we're going to deep dive into the shifts that occur when even your profession can't help you. So let's, without further ado, have you come in. Marty, go ahead and unmute yourself if it will let you, because it won't let me. So <laughs> there we go. All right, there we are. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm super delighted that you were able to make the time to be on the show, Dr. Marnie. Thank you. Mm, it's my pleasure. So the whole premise behind the Suicide Prevention Show is that pure prevention is possible, that suicide prevention can be fun, and we recognize that life is not always fun. So... <laughs> no, it's not. You know, I'm going to invite you, please, if you would mind, give us the five-minute version of your story. <laughs> okay. Um, I want to say just before that, I really love the distinction because it's one I've been making for a while, the difference between suicide prevention and suicide crisis intervention. Mm. And... Um, it's just really, it's really important to me to make that distinction because crisis intervention can be successful, but it has a lousy success rate. Whereas prevention, well, it requires people who are not thinking straight to think straight enough to make a phone call or send a text. It's, or, or to be willing to tell someone, and generally they're so deep in hopelessness that what's the point of telling someone, right? So it fails, to, the crisis intervention fails to reach, well, pretty much everyone who dies that and way. And it's not that the skills of intervention, it's not that the crisis intervention, the suicide intervention specialists don't have the skills to they help They have skills. People. It's Absolutely. just that by the time, there's a sweet spot where they're really effective. And it's when someone recognizes or has been recognized as being at risk before they have crossed that threshold of hopelessness. Right. And, and it's a really varying window for different people and different things can pull people out of it. We you do lots of interviews about this. Right, and, and, but you can also be tipped into it very unexpectedly. It tipped into the place. We call it impulsivity. It is where subconscious, sometimes subconscious, it's not always that somebody even had a conscious plan. They've just been caught in a negative echo chamber. And so subconscious plan crosses opportunity. And this is why in America, we've had to install jump nets on bridges is because especially among people under the age of 25, before the prefrontal cortex is fully online, you know, impulsivity exists. It's a thing. We know it when we're dealing with teenagers. We forget about it when we're dealing with 20-year-olds. And the real challenge is that it can be 30s 
before the prefrontal cortex is fully online. So, well, there are plenty of things that can throw your prefrontal cortex off. Hmm, like age. like stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not that anybody is dealing with any stress in this day and age. Yeah, we we the name the elephant in the room. We are in the middle of what I call the COVID cocoon. Just like a caterpillar, we didn't know what we were getting into when this started. Now, caterpillars don't know what they're getting into when they're weaving that thing. They're just weaving. Well, we were just weaving. And now we're in this place of watching everything, the construct of our lives be dissolved in this, in this time. And where we come out, whether we come out as a fully formed butterfly because we are embracing the change, or whether we come out still struggling to stay a caterpillar with wings. You know, I mean, it's gonna be a struggle. The more we can just release into the process the way a caterpillar does, the more likely we are to be able to fly. So that's the world according to Jackie. All right, so that's a different show altogether usually. All right, Marty, let's go. Come on. All right. So my I know story. you can do this. Five minute version. What's your story? I can I can do a five minute version of my story. Um, I started off as a conventional pediatrician and loved that. I loved being a pediatrician. I really loved it. Uh, I went into that because I wanted to start with healthy beings and teach them and their families how to keep them healthy for life. Um, I, I purposely didn't go into adult medicine because I knew that at least at that time, I had no, um, I had no skills or patience for people who caused their own issues. So, but then, so I, and the funny thing is that that's completely what I've come full circle around to. So anyway, um, but essentially the, the story is that 18 years ago, Uh, My daughter, Claire, was three. I was pregnant with my son, Jack. And pretty much overnight, I went from being healthy to being in the midst of what turned out to be a 10-plus-year nightmare with chronic illness in the form of multiple chemical sensitivities. And it... uh, it was really, it was, well, it was not fun. Like you said before, <laughs> it was very unfun for well over 10 years. And, and I, um, I, I had the good fortune of knowing what it was because my mother had this. And, and ironically, when she first got it, and I was a classic conventional doctor in the, in the sense that I didn't believe it. Like I thought she was crazy. I mean, I didn't really think she was crazy, but, but it didn't make any sense, you know? And, and then when I got it, I was like, what the heck? Because this, what's happening here, having one whiff of a chemical and having your entire body melt down doesn't fit any physiological pathway that I knew of. There's no medical explanation for what people with multiple chemical sensitivities experience. Okay, I'm going to just unpack that because that's a mouthful. You're saying multiple chemical sensitivities. 
which is not something that is like common language. Right. What is other than a whiff of a chemical causing the body to melt down, which is a, an image that I can imagine, but what did that show up like for you or for your mom? Well, I mean, that's mostly what it shows up like is, is when, when you go past someone, you know, you walk down the street and you walk by a house where laundry is happening and you smell the fabric softener coming out the vent. Uh, you, um, you get very anxious. You um, feel like you have to hold your nose and run away. Uh, many people get a headache. Some people get nauseous. Some people get a metallic taste in their mouth. Um, you. So the first you symptom. Foggy brained. Okay, so the first one and the last one. Anxiety and foggy brain. And you go with those two major symptoms to any traditional medical doctor. And there's a problem. They don't know what to do with you. Well, they want to put you on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications and send you to a psychiatrist, you know, and that doesn't help the problem. Right, because it's not about the problem at that point, it's about the symptoms. Yeah, okay, so so you figured it out, even though you thought your mom was maybe... Oh, I, I did not figure it out. That was the problem. Okay. For 10 years, I didn't figure it out, except that I knew, you know, she had found a, a, an integrative alternative doctor, uh, MD, who also had the chemical sensitivities. And so I knew that I had to avoid chemicals, which means, you know, you have to completely, you know, pretty easy to get your home chemical free as long as the people living with you are willing to cooperate. A lot of people don't have cooperative people in their homes. They don't want to give up their favorite cologne or perfume or shampoo or deodorant or whatever. But I couldn't tolerate a whiff of deodorant. I couldn't tolerate a whiff of hair product. Um, definitely not perfume or cologne. Definitely no conventional cleaning products, no pine salt, no scrubby bubbles, no bleach not a whiff. Wow. Um, no, uh, no fresh carpet, no fresh paint, no auto exhaust, you know, so you can start to see that the only way to avoid chemicals is to make your home chemical free and stay there. Okay. So this was isolation before it became social. Right. Yes. My mother has joked that she was social distancing long before it was fashionable. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, so so it, it's pretty debilitating, and it quickly, um, you know, I, I came around to learn what the mechanism is, and then it all makes sense. But it took me ten years to get to anybody or anything that showed me that. And when I found this person, it was like a light bulb, and you're like, why didn't I get that? But it's not. It's not what you necessarily think. But essentially, for 18 years, I was exhausted all the time. I was irritable all the time. My brain didn't work well. Um, I became increasingly anxious over those 18 years. And uh, I mean, sorry, 10 years. And I, I missed essentially the first 10 years of both of my kids' lives, which was really sucky. And, and they had a mom who was just you know, not available to do fun things, not able to really play. I didn't have 
any patience, I guess, right? So I was snappy and irritable. Um, it wasn't fun. You know, they would go on great adventures with their dad and have a blast and I'd have to look at the photos and the videos and hear about it, uh, which was upsetting for me. It was upsetting for their dad who had to do all that parenting on his own. I ended up within a few years, I mean, it became very clear very quickly that conventional medicine wasn't going to help me. So that was a huge kind of betrayal trauma, you know, that I'd spent all this time and money and effort learning this expertise to help people be well and nothing in it could help me be well. Um, ah, betrayal. Got it. And then, um, you know, within, within four years, I don't know why it took me so long, honestly, <laughs> but, but well, we'll give it to the fog brain, but we but know why it took you the so fog long. Brain. Well, and just, it never occurred to me to do anything else, but, um, the, you know, four years in, I, I realized I just could, I could not continue going to my hospital based practice where I was around all the chemicals in the hospital. Whenever I went into work, I worked part time at that point because my kids were little, so it wasn't every day, but um, you know, I, I, I ended up leaving my medical practice because I needed to get well. I, I just could not, you know, I just, it was one of those days where I'm just like, I cannot be unavailable to my family and myself anymore. You know, I could pull it together enough to work, but then only the worst version of me was at home. Ooh. You know? Yeah. Got it which is true of a lot of people, they pull it together for work. Yeah. And then they go home and their family suffers because they're, they've they given all they can left. give. Yeah, they don't have anything left to give. And you said something really important. You said it never occurred to you. And right. you know, or, they, or, yeah. That's the line that resonates um, in this realm of, health in general, but the whole suicide prevention conversation. And every single person I know who has struggled with any kind of chronic illness, the solution that came to them, they all wish they, it had occurred to them sooner. Of course. But when it, and for my story, when it came to parenting, it never occurred to me that my kid could be at risk of suicide. It did, these are the things that don't occur to us until we're dealing with them. And so yeah. I'm really yeah. grateful that it occurred to you to give yourself a break. Yeah. <laughs> well, but here's the thing. It didn't occur to me to not work. So I didn't stop working. <laughs> I was going to just start my own practice and insist that my patients and my staff were all chemical free. I didn't get that far, which is probably a very good thing because that would have been way too much to handle. Um, but I ended up doing something which in retrospect sounds like even dumber, which was I, I got a phone call one day from, an, from, a, from another physician who mostly practiced homeopathy, but she's an MD as well, uh, who said, hey, I want to sell my store. And someone said, you'd be interested in buying it. And I was like, what? So she had a, she had a retail store associated with her practice that sold chemical-free home goods. Oh. And so 
that was certainly not in my plan, but that is what I ended up doing because I thought, oh, well, the reason I'm leaving my practice is because I don't want the chemicals closures. Not that I don't want to work. Hmm. Not that the income isn't useful. No. So I said, and, and at that point, I because I didn't know the mechanism of chemical sensitivity, um, I was on an enormous soapbox about everybody has to become chemical free or the chemicals are going to kill us all. Now, that is still true. <laughs> however, however, it's not quite as immediately urgent as I thought it. I mean, it, I, I don't want to like, I don't want to make it not important because it actually reducing your chemical exposure is one of the most important things you can do for suicide prevention, as well as for health in general. I'll be really clear. It's really important. However, uh, anyway, for me, it was a way to continue being in healthcare, just mm -hmm. in different modality, different venue. And, uh, and so I took over this retail store in 2006, which is relevant because it was two years before the recession in 2008. And so anyone who's ever uh, managed or owned a retail store know that it's, it's a little bit stressful on its own. And then um, to, to do it in a recession when people aren't buying was super stressful. So um, I, I just, I continued to get worse. And, but that store did offer me ultimately the, um, well, first of all, it offered me a tremendous education in chemicals and chemical-free home products. It brought me a very, you know, a large following of loyal customers who still call me to this day with questions. And it's what got me to the website that showed me that the thing that keeps chemical sensitivity going more than the chemicals themselves is that the primary driver of it is PTSD with chemicals as the trigger. Okay, so now this is interesting. This is not something I've heard before. Hmm. So what would, what happens with multiple chemical sensitivity is that a chemical will trigger a post-traumatic stress reaction? Yes. Holy crap. And so that was like- can't figure it out. Boom. Makes and everything I was experiencing made total sense because, and, and it, and, and it keeps you in fight or flight. So every time you get a whiff of a chemical, you go into fight or flight. And then the brain generalizes anything that's similar will also put you into fight or flight because it might be the same. It might be a threat, right? So there has oh. to be a situation where chemicals have been a threat to you, right? And then some last straw affects you. And that last straw most of the time has to do with chemicals. For me, it had to do with just having, having stacked my camels back with too many straws. And the last straw was being pregnant for the second time and having, I think, a little virus for three days. Not a big virus, just yeah. a little tiny one. It's something that dipped your immune. And it was just a bunch of straws and suddenly, boom, that was too much for my system and my chemical stuff was, I mean, I probably had more than average chemical exposure um, in my life and I probably had, 
you know, I don't know which comes first, the chicken or the egg. I, I certainly now have more sluggish detox and liver stuff, and I probably had it back then too. So, I mean, that's how I got to it. But once I learned, so those immediate symptoms that people have when they sniff a chemical, which is usually the scent of it, mm -hmm. but you can have them without a scent because not all chemicals have a scent. Mm -hmm. So you learn, like, if you smell something, you know, oh, that's what triggered me. You know, you sit down next to someone and they've got cologne on, you didn't know, and then boom, you're triggered and you've got to decide, well, am I going to be antisocial and move away? Or am I going to, you know, what, oh. but then you know, but when you get triggered and you don't smell anything, then you start hunting for, well, what's the odor-free chemical? Right? Well, and at that point, I didn't know anything at all also about how our limiting beliefs yeah. Trigger us. So, uh, you know, probably most of the times when I got triggered into what I thought was a chemical sensitivity reaction, but I couldn't smell a chemical or wasn't aware of it, they were probably emotional triggers. Yeah. Probably not all of them, you know, some yeah. of each, but. I mean, and the symptoms were the same. Symptoms are exactly the because same. Because the trigger doesn't matter. It's what it's triggering right. that was the same. Because the important thing for people to understand, the reason chemical sensitivity doesn't make any sense is that chemicals are, I, I think it's safe to say universally bad for us. <laughs> Our being was not designed to handle the chemicals, synthetic chemicals of modern living. Mm. Now, and so they're bad for us in, in, a, in a couple ways. Some of them are damaging to our nervous system. Some are damaging to our immune system. Some are damaging to our hormones. Some can cause cancer or, or increase cancer risk, but they can all accumulate. So our way of dealing with chemicals that we can't process and eliminate is to accumulate them in our fat. So they are also part of the obesity epidemic. Oh. And, and they work, but they, you know, their, their ill effects are gradual over time and cumulative dose, cumulative dose external exposure and cumulative dose internal built up and stored away in your fat. So now we're talking toxic fat. Right. So chemicals aren't like, I get a whiff of your perfume. That can't hurt my, even though perfumes are almost universally neurotoxic, that whiff isn't hurting my brain cells right in that moment. It's just triggering a massive, not a tiny, but a massive fight or flight reaction. And, and there are common elements to the fight or flight reaction, uh, you know, with a Fight is anger or defensiveness. Flight is fear and anxiety and that urge to run away that I mentioned at the beginning. And then there's the whole freeze component, which can come into, right? Just, you're just stuck and you don't know what to do. But there's also the racing heart rate. There's sweating, sweating. There's um, flow of blood to your muscles and away from your gut. So some people will get an upset stomach, butterflies in the stomach. There's all those things are common and then almost everyone with chemical sensitivities has their own other symptoms that come in immediately that are not part of the standard fight or flight, but what they are is inflammation hitting their weakest link. So the fight or flight reaction immediately triggers an inflammatory cascade in your body. 
yeah, there's a bunch of things around that that you know we 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 each have our own ways of explaining it. But my understanding, and you're the medical doctor, my understanding is that when we get tripped into fight or flight, it's just like the caveman. The two systems, one, the blood flows away from the head into the major muscles, away from the gut. And the two things that shut down, the body's ability to heal shuts down because your body pulls all the resources. I mean, it, let's face it, would you want to try to heal the cut you got yesterday or prevent you from being lacerated by the saber-toothed tiger today? And the other system that shuts down is digestion because do you want those resources trying to digest your lunch or do you want them available to help you avoid becoming lunch? Right. You Somebody. missed one. The other thing that shuts down is your prefrontal cortex. You yeah. Like I said, it pulls the blood away from the higher functioning areas of the brain. For right. the cave man, it was great. Right. I mean, you don't want to prevent him. You don't want to sit there and think, well, what should I do about this? Yeah. Well, and, and you also don't yeah. want to bleed to death with a head injury. You know, if the blood constricted, you don't have as much bleeding. Yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of good things for the way that the environment was when the wiring was established in the human body. But we fast forward to today and we don't have as many real dinosaurs, but we do have the same wiring that can get hooked. If we can't process the emotions, it gets hooked and then we can get, we become triggerable. That's, yeah. I yeah. Oh boy. So, so when okay. you have the chemical sensitivities, you're triggered into fight or flight all the time. Wow. Right? And, and so I find, so I learned what this thing that makes it just a vicious, vicious cycle was. And I learned how to turn that off Aha. for the chemicals, but I did not learn how to turn it off for the emotional stuff because I hadn't figured out that they're one and the same. Got so, it. I thought, I didn't realize I'd turned it off for the chemicals for quite some time because I was still having reactions, right? And then finally, uh, about two years after I started retraining my brain, uh, I had this big aha that, oh, when I'm nervous about something, when I'm something's really big and anxious, that's when I have more reactions. Right. And, um, and so then I started to clue into that part, but I, I still didn't, I, I didn't have any of the, it's pretty interesting to look back. So that was now seven years ago. And, uh, you know, the expertise I've gained in the last seven years on, you know, emotional resilience and how do we manage our stress, physical stress, mental stress, chemical stress, um, is is amazing to see to see the difference and not just the difference in wow what i've learned but the difference it's made in my life right so i am completely uh i, I haven't had chemical sensitivity for well at least seven years at least seven years and i can now you that, know, that's huge it's huge for the last five years i could go i can go anywhere i want i can travel i can stay in a hotel i can go to an office building well yeah because i met you at a conference at right. a hotel right. so, i yeah. choose to work at home mm -hmm. so that i still have minimal chemical exposure because i do very much respect the um the threat to our general health that the chemicals that are out in public buildings 
poses. Um, so I've been lucky and that I, I, I just want to, I'm going to pause and I'm going to say for anybody listening to this who has a history of multiple chemical sensitivities, just take some hope. It does not have to be a lifetime sentence. It does not. And, and there are a lot of things that are behind it. So many different things. And I probably had mold. Mold was probably okay. my big thing, but, but you know, there's a million things. Gonna, and that's we're going to give you an opportunity right here. Okay. Cause we're going to pause everything. And I'm going to say, all right, somebody who has that kind of life where chemical multiple chemical sensitivity has taken a pieces of their life just like it took your medical practice you know just like it took your ability to interact with your family so they've lost some pieces of their life to this very nebulous diagnosis what are three things they can do that will dial things down for them right now I would guess that they've tried, if they're still having trouble, that they've really tried every, all the things I would suggest other than retraining their brain. But the big things are, you have to lower your stress level overall from all sources because the more stress you have, the more easily you are triggered into fight or flight, regardless of the trigger, whether it's emotional or chemical, doesn't matter. So you have to do things that lower your stress. That means, you know, learning to calm yourself out of a stress reaction is really good. It means eating healthy food, making sure that your nutrients, you're, you know, mm -hmm. supplemented with new stress, stress depletes nutrients like nobody's business. So most people who have had stress for a long time, even not the level with chemical sensitivities have very depleted intracellular nutrients. Their blood tests may be fine, but intracellularly, they're very depleted. So get your gut healed. Now, the gut can't heal while you're still having lots of fight or flight reactions. So there's more than one vicious cycle involved here, but you can still do things that help your gut, even you know, keep it from having bigger problems than it needs to have. You know, finding most people have food sensitivities, so finding the foods you're sensitive to. But the biggest thing is learning how to retrain the limbic system, which is the part of the brain that triggers that fight or flight reaction. Um, is, so is the first step in retraining that part of the brain is simply to become aware of when you're being triggered and start noticing what works for you because this is not a one size fits all other than the universal stress intervention technique number one, which works for me, works for most people, and that's take three deep, slow breaths. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When somebody explained to me that there are triggers at the base of the lungs, you have really deep, that when they're triggered, they tell the body that you're safe and to start producing the counterbalancing chemicals to the stress cocktail, mm -hmm. then the mechanism made sense. Because yeah. when we're done with the fight and flight, when the caveman was done wrestling and fleeing, what was he doing? <gasps> Glad that's a, you know, really deep breathing because he used his big muscles. Right. Using big muscles, walking. Yeah. So for some people, walking is a great stress management technique. So Marnie, I know, I know how the story is because you're still a doctor, but what kind of a doctor are you now? Well, so now I do functional medicine. 
which means identifying the root causes of your health problems and uh, addressing those so that your body can heal. So in the simplest terms, it means finding out what your body needs that it doesn't have and finding out what your body's getting that's harming it and you know, giving it the things it needs and getting rid of the things that are harming it so that your body can do what it is designed to do, what it is great at doing, which is repair itself and restore balance. So, uh, so, so that, you know, functional medicine is that, and, and I, you know, I have a specialty in helping people who need to retrain their brain at the same time, because the way their brain has come to work based on their experiences in life is one of the things that's damaging their body. <laughs> so. Einstein is famous for saying, you can't solve a problem with the same thinking that you can't solve the problem from the same thinking that created the problem. That's so right. You heard me say that earlier this week. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Changing how you think about things. All right. So for everyone who is listening to the show, Marnie, I know that I'm so grateful because when we talked about what people needed and you said that you had some stress busters that you were going to give to the people on the show. I was super, super thrilled. So how would someone get them? And don't worry if you're listening and driving, because we'll put them in the show notes. So what, what is it that they need to do? Yep. So I've created a technique that I call stop, drop, and roll based on the, the very well universally known technique for dealing with a fire. Uh, because stress is stress is like pouring gasoline on the fire of inflammation in your body. So this is about putting out the stress fire. Cool. And so if people want to get my stop, drop, and roll ebook, which describes that technique as well as you know what you alluded to, it has ten great in the moment things that you can do to relieve stress. So you can pick all. You don't need to do all ten of them. You you find the ones that you like you know, the ones that resonate most with you. So that is at outsidethepillbox.com forward slash TSPS for the Suicide Prevention Show gift. So outsidethepillbox.com forward slash TSPS gift. Awesome. And like I said, that'll be in the show notes, but that's a lot of words that are easy to spell. And I like things that are easy. So Dr. Marnie, on this journey that we have taken people on into the mystery that redesigned your life without your permission, you know, there are so many people dealing with having their lives redesigned without their permission that I know this is such a great gift. And I really, really appreciate you making that available to everyone. So thank you very, very much for coming on the show. And with, this is not the only topic we've got. So we'll have you back. And no, I, I think we need to be back. And I, I just, you know, I'll add one more piece of my story if we just have two seconds. Mm -hmm. um, you know, during the time before I learned about the PTSD component, there were many times when I, I had suicidal thoughts during, during my health challenge. Uh, I, I never got so far as to make a plan because I had kids. And for me, that, you know, that was, I, I'm one of the people who had a lot of exposure to suicide as a kid. And um, so I knew the trauma it caused and I was not 
personally willing to, I, I would, I that was your pause button. It was totally my pause button. And I was willing to stick it out and have a hard time in order to not cause that trauma. But just to add to my story, so people listening know, um, you know, my illness traumatized me. It traumatized my kids and it traumatized my husband. The, we also had debt from my store that traumatized all of us. Um, and my husband had his own health issues that he couldn't manage to address because of his own limiting beliefs. You know, he would try and try and try, but each time fail. And so um, I do want to make it clear to people that um, I have experience with all sides because my husband lost his internal battle three years ago next month and did take his own life. So I've, I've experienced every side of this issue. When it comes to this topic, where you've been in the world of intervention of people with known risk factors, known diagnoses, known indicators, because chronic pain and chronic health issues, major illnesses are known suicide risk indicators in my world. Absolutely. In that realm, Marnie, your willingness to come into the suicide prevention advocate training and to become part of this group and part of this journey to support everyone to break this cycle of negative thinking, to, to break the silence on the topic of suicide and to start the conversations that can save lives. I just want to acknowledge you for doing that. And I also want to acknowledge you for sharing your story with that. Yeah, it's, it's my pleasure. I think it's, you know, the more we share, the more it helps people because, you know, I, I look pretty put together and well now because I am, but that has not been, that has not been the majority of my experience in my adult life. And so I'm a great example of, of how really learning how to care for yourself can totally transform your world, both medically, I mean, physically care for yourself and mentally, emotionally care for yourself. And uh, I'm a great example. I happen to pull this out. Um, I'm a great example of, of how not doing those things will take you in the other direction. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that I've done the work and uh, my kids and I are thriving in the, in the wake of that tragedy. I had two teenagers at the time, they're 18 and 21 now, and they're doing great but that's not the usual course when your dad dies by suicide. You said it very well, and I'm just gonna go there. You said he lost the internal battle. Mm -hmm. Suicide is a lonely death. Suicide is a silent epidemic. So the greatest gift anyone listening to this show can give to themselves and their loved ones is to learn how to talk about suicide in a way that honors all the people in the conversation. So nobody's blindsided by it. And shameless plug, that's the Suicide Prevention Advocate Program. More information about that is always available and it'll be in the show notes. Please learn how to have a conversation that saves lives. You never know whose life you might save. Thank you, Dr. Marnie. Thank you, Jackie. Always a pleasure.